Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Hey, this morning, as we, uh, as we said, we, we jump into our Missions Emphasis Month, this be- month of being full. And uh, it's my privilege this morning to introduce uh, a new partner, our guest speaker this morning. Uh, Kevin Faldi and his wife, Emily, um, uh, are missionaries to, to Haiti, which is a really, really, really tough place to be missionaries to. Uh, so tough that they can't be there right now. Um, it's so bad there. Um, Kevin, oddly enough, grew up in Haiti. His parents were missionaries to Haiti, so he was actually born there and lived in, went to high school there, and he thinks it's a great place, and it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, but Kevin and Emily have been serving there um, for the last several years. Prior to that, they actually planted a church in South Carolina until God said, uh, about the time of the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, hey, I, I want you back to serve your people there. And uh, so they answered that call um, beautifully. Uh, Kevin and Emily have four children. Um, When you see, not so much him, but when you see Emily, you'll go, how on earth do you have four kids that are college age or older? Um, But they do. um, And those kids are back here while Kevin and Emily serve. So would you give a warm, warm Cape Cod Church welcome for our guest speaker this morning, Pastor Kevin Faldi. Thank you, brother. Got your box on? Yes. Hey, it's great to be with you at Cape Cod Church this morning. Uh, We are missionaries, as you heard, down in Haiti. And this is my beautiful wife, Emily, back here. Uh, We flew in last night. Yes, thank you. We were at a uh, medical missions conference in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, just this week. And so we flew out to be with you guys, got in last night. Uh, Our plane got delayed, so... Um, the rental car place was closed, and so we were about 2 o'clock in the morning trying to settle into our hotel in Providence. We got a different hotel room there. Got up, got some hotel coffee, stopped at Dunkin' Donuts for more coffee. So uh, you might have to say amen or say something to me this morning while I'm talking just to keep me awake, all right? Uh, but uh, I'll just go through a couple pictures here uh, that I think we have, and Uh, Just to share a little bit about our ministry down in Haiti. As you heard, I grew up down there. My parents were missionaries there back in the 80s. And um, enjoyed, too, the last, just before I came, watching some of the the videos. I recognized some faces that you guys had going on here and and the different stories. Uh, Enjoyed hearing how you do a, a calculus problem with love. I've never heard that before, so I need to tell my son that he's an engineering major uh, right now in calculus. But if we could go ahead and get uh, some of those pictures up. If you're on Facebook and want to follow along with our ministry, uh, Faldi Family in Haiti is one of our pages. And then a nonprofit we started uh, back after the 2010 earthquake in Haiti is Paracleo International. And God has just been blessing that in many ways uh, over the last years. Uh, We started that to make sure uh, when people wanted to give, their funds got down to Haiti, unlike the Clinton Foundation and the Red Cross and some of these other things. uh, A lot of that money never quite made it down there, and if it did, uh, 
got mishandled. That's, let's put it mildly, uh, got mishandled. But uh, anyways, we do a lot of work down in Haiti. We're doing, working with two medical centers right now. One's a rebuild, remodel job that uh, a missionary doctor started back in the 1980s, and they were on the verge of closing uh, this last year. So they asked us to step in, and, and we said, well, well, we'll step in by faith, but uh, God has to provide in big ways, and he has. So we've torn down about eight buildings and started rebuilding buildings, and we're also building a new medical center way up in the mountains in a rural area where we've done a lot of mobile medical clinics and uh, seen a huge need up there. So those are some of the medical things we're doing, but our primary thing in Haiti is to plant churches, reach people with the gospel, uh, plant churches in rural communities. This is about a third, uh, if we go back to that last slide, about a third of the, the pastors that we work with there, all these guys are in Bible college. That's one of the, the goals is to get them into Bible college if we can. Uh, some of them don't have that that level of education to get there. One pastor, when we started working with him, had a second grade education. And so we've been uh, paying a tutor to take him through grades. I think he's in sixth or seventh grade now. Uh, but he's a pastor, married with kids, and he also found a Bible institute that they'll let him go to without that high school degree. Uh, the next slide here. Uh, this summer, we were able to dedicate seven new church buildings. Our buildings cost about $30,000. That church has to uh, invest two materials. That gives them ownership without putting a financial burden on them because most of those families are just trying to stay alive another day. Those are rural, uh, some of the poorest people on earth that we're working with. Haiti is, of course, the poorest country in our Western Hemisphere. Uh, but uh, the areas that we work are rural mountain areas, usually just a witch doctor there or a few witch doctors in the area. So we're not tripping over uh, any other churches. And it's exciting to plant a church, help them, help them build a little building where the gospel can be preached and they can keep reaching people uh, for the next 50 to 100 years in that building if the Lord tarries. And uh, th those were two of the, two of the dedication services uh, that you saw there, and you saw people dressed up uh, the same. Usually visiting choirs will, will put on their matching outfits, and they want to participate uh, in the dedication service. These two buildings are going up right now. Uh, I have a hard time updating pictures because even yesterday I got another picture. The floor is poured on the building on the right. These are two churches over in the Dom Dominican Republic. We only get over there a few weeks out of every year, uh, but we have four churches going now over there. These are with Haitian immigrants that cross over uh, to find work because the unemployment rate in Haiti hovers around 90%. Yes, that's the unemployment rate, okay? And if you have a job, you're probably not getting paid. You're probably two or three months behind on getting paid. So a lot of Haitians head over there or head anywhere else uh, to try to find some work. And much of Haiti's economy is supported by Haitians outside sending money back to friends and family. Uh, so uh, that's, that's kind of uh, how that works. So we're working over there as well in the DR uh, with Haitian churches. And we go to the next slide here. Some of you don't like building pictures. You like baby pictures. So here's some baby pictures for you. Uh, our family took in uh, these twins, 
uh, this summer. And our girls, I have two daughters, uh, they did a great job caring for them through the night. Mariah uh, took Shauna. If you go back to that last picture, uh, Shauna on the left here is a little girl. Uh, we took her in at two months old, and, and they nicknamed the boy Bob, or little Bob, or in Creole T-Bob, so Mr. T-Bob. Um, and uh, we took them in at two months. At a, at a month old, you see the big scar on her forehead there. Um, a month old, the dad had gotten up early at 5 o'clock in the morning, gone to get, get some water uh, for the, the family. They don't have any running water, just a little dirt floor in their house, no electricity, anything like that. When he came home, a rat had attacked her and eaten all the skin off her forehead. I won't show you that picture, but it's, it's, uh, it's pretty rough. Um, that was the fourth time that rat had, had attacked her, and, but that time it was, it was pretty rough. The, talking to the aunt uh, later, she said, she said she, they all thought she was going to die. Uh, Frail Bear, one of the local pastors that we work with, had gone and prayed with the dad, and, and he said, okay, what are we going to do? And the dad said, well, I guess she's going to die because she was she had blood coming out of her nose, choking on her own blood. And, and Frobert said, no, let's, let's try to get her to the hospital. So uh, they got her to the hospital, got her patched up some. And uh, about a month later, uh, we were there, went to check on them. The mom was really sick on the verge of death. So we got her uh, to the hospital right away. And they have four other kids that their grandma is trying to take care of. Uh, some of the detail I can't, I, I won't even go in. Well, probably wouldn't be appropriate to say in church, but, uh, but it's, it's just poverty uh, breeds a lot of raw practicality in how you care for babies. And, uh, and so seeing the situation, uh, knowing that they, they couldn't even take care of the other four, and especially not these twins, uh, we went ahead and took them in, knowing Haitian culture, because I've grown up in it, that when you take them in, you're taking them in. Uh, you're, the parents don't want them back. Uh, it's not that they don't love them, but it's like America would have been 100-plus years ago if you had six kids and your brother didn't have any you know, and he had the capacity to raise kids. So a lot of times in Haiti, people are raising kids that are not their kids. Uh, they don't always go through a, a, an adoption process. It's just practicality. You do uh, what you can and what others can't do. So uh, we took them in. Uh, we weren't ready. Didn't have diapers, didn't have bottles, didn't have anything. Uh, Emily was making diapers out of some cloth that she had and trash bags and whatever it took for the first week there. Uh, they had been eating, they had been feeding them just like crushed up saltine crackers mixed with water. Uh, so when we took them in at two months, uh, she, Shauna wasn't even five pounds yet. She was four something. And uh, I think Bob was uh, almost six pounds. So really still at their birth weight, and honestly, probably within a few days or weeks of, of ending, uh, coming to the end of their life. Many of those families, if you understand, have buried one or two kids or more uh, in the backyard. Even this family, their first kid, they buried in the backyard. Uh, so this is just the situation uh, that we're working with. But the next picture there, 
is uh, a little while later after we've had them, and uh, they're doing much better now. Uh, Bob has uh, many expressions. He can give you a lot of different expression in about five seconds, angry face, happy face, sad face, confused face. Uh, Shauna, it takes a lot of work on your part to get her to smile, uh, but when you do, she'll stick out that little tongue at you and uh, sometimes even let out a little squeal. Uh, there's a uh, faithful uh, single mom from one of our churches that is caring for them right now. I would ask you uh, to pray for us. We have started, even though we just became empty nesters a few months ago, dropped off our last kids at college in August, uh, God has really opened our hearts to uh, try to adopt these two. And so uh, we, we've been having meetings. We've, we know it's a big challenge, especially if you already know the children with an international adoption. The Hague Convention has all kinds of rules against that. Uh, so we have more meetings tomorrow uh, with an immigration attorney and, and lifeline adoption services. So if you would, just pray, pray for God's will to be done in that situation. Uh, we're, we're very open and willing to, to, to bring them into our family and make them our own. Uh, and in our hearts, uh, they already are our own. Uh, but there's a lot of, uh, and we're going to raise them in Haiti. We're going to raise them as our own. Uh, but the complications there of, of bringing them back to the states with us, we have to go through that process. Uh, so are we done with all of those? Yeah, that's the family. And uh, minus Micah. Micah is our oldest. He got married in, in uh, April this year. He's a cybersecurity guy. I don't know anything about that. That's what my older brother does. But uh, he, he, he loves that, has his master's in that, and he's doing a great job with that. So God's doing amazing things in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. We'd appreciate your prayers for us as a family as we serve down there. Uh, we weren't planning to be back. Uh, but uh, when we came back in August to drop our kids off, everything kind of exploded uh, behind us. So uh, God always has a reason for why he does what he does and his timing. And sometimes when you come to that railroad crossing and the train's coming, uh, it's better just to stop and, and let the train go by <laughs> and, uh, and not try to, to beat that. Uh, but that's what we're doing right now, kind of praying and waiting to get back in. Even our positive pastors and friends have said, uh, just hold on a little bit before you come back. So I, I get counsel from a lot of different guys. Some of them are, are scared all the time and will say no. Uh, some of them will say yes. All of them are saying no, don't come back yet. So uh, that's a good sign, maybe just to listen and, and wait. Uh, one of the cool things that, that we've been praying about in the Dominican Republic, and the needs are different in different places. I mentioned these two uh, twins. By faith, next year in Haiti, we'll start a children's home uh, to where we can take in more of these kids. We see this uh, oftentimes where kids need a place to come and uh, that are within a couple days or, or weeks of dying. And so we're, by faith, going to start a children's home and, and be able to take in more of these kids and preserve life and, and help families in those situations. Uh, it's not ideal. Nothing in Haiti is usually an ideal situation. Uh, but if you can preserve life and make a difference, uh, I'm all for it. Uh, 
In the Dominican Republic, the need's a little bit different there with some of the, the immigrants. One of the big needs that they shared with me a couple years ago, and that's really been our, on our heart, is, is a home for teen moms. Because a lot of families will, the family will push their, their young daughter uh, into prostitution to raise money for the family. Just out of necessity. And many cases, she'll get pregnant, which adds another mouth to feed instead of bringing uh, more funds into the home. And then that leaves her in a, in a bad situation uh, in this newborn child uh, in, a, in a terrible situation. And so that's been on our heart uh, the last few years. And, um, and I want to mention a few verses here from, from Genesis chapter 16 and also 20, uh, 21, if you have your Bibles there. And I just want to share kind of the heart of this project with two thoughts here, very simple thoughts. God knows your situation. God knows your situation. If you look at Genesis chapter 16, here you have the story of Hagar and Ishmael. And sometimes you find yourself in a situation that wasn't your doing. Abraham and Sarah, God had a plan for them. They tried to help God accomplish his plan and purposes, as we often do sometimes, don't we? We get impatient. We get tired of waiting on God to do what, what we know he's going to do or what we expect him to do. Uh, so we help God with his plan and help him accomplish his promises. That's what Abraham and Sarah thought they were doing when Sarah said, here's Hagar, take her. I'm too old to have a child. Uh, this is not going to work. Take Hagar, have a child with her. Uh, she gets pregnant with Ishmael and then she looks at Sarah the wrong way. Sarah's upset. She blames it on Abraham. Abraham says, do whatever you want to with her. She gets mad at her. And Hagar ends up running away. She's in the desert. And here's what I like. Verse 7 in Genesis chapter 16. Now the angel of the Lord found her. Listen, God knows exactly where you're at. He knows where to find you. He knows your situation. He finds her by a spring in the wilderness. And, and let me say this too, verse 8. He knows not only where to find you, but he knows where you came from, and he knows where you're going. And the angel of the Lord puts it as a question because sometimes we need to answer for our own good. It's not as if God didn't know what was going on in her life. But he asked her, where have you come from and where are you going? Good question to ponder in life. And sometimes with, with a person like Hagar, I have no idea where I'm going. I know I can't stay there, at least I don't think I can. I, I have to head somewhere. Sarah's run me off. I don't know where I'm going next. And, and many young ladies in the Dominican are, have found themselves in that situation right now. They don't know what's next. And God says to her in verse 9, Go back, submit yourself. I want to say this. I want to mention this. Some of you may not like this. God knows what changes you need to make in your life. 
Now, even though sometimes someone else puts you in a bad situation, let me remind you of this. You're not an angel, and you're not God, and there's probably something you can examine within your life even if you're only responsible for 1% of the problem, there are changes you need to make before you step forward into some other relationship or into some other setting. I, I believe strongly a lot of people just keep moving. They don't want to change anything about themselves. One time as a pastor, I had a couple come to me. They both had been in previous relationships. They wanted to get married. Oh, this is going to be the greatest thing uh, ever. You know, they used to know each other years ago, and God brought them back together. And I said, okay, if I'm going to do this wedding, first of all, we're going to talk about what went wrong in your previous relationships and what you can fix what you need to change going into the next one. And they both said, no, no, we had, we have, you can't blame us for anything. It was all the other person's fault. I said, well, if I'm doing the wedding, we're going to talk about this. Well, then we'll find somebody else to do the wedding. I said, that's fine. And they found somebody else to do the wedding, and I, you can probably guess uh, they're not together anymore, sadly. Listen, God knows what you need to change moving forward. And he tells Hagar, even though she's not the cause of this, you need to go back to Sarah and you need to submit and go back into this situation. But he also has a plan for you. I like this so much about this story. Angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Hagar and Ishmael was not God's plan. Isaac was the promised son, right? Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, that's, that's the promised line. But let me tell you something. Even if you feel like you weren't planned and you're not the plan, God loves you and has a plan for you. Even if you're the result of other people's poor decisions, God has a great plan for your life and he loves you and he has compassion for you. He loves you. He loves Hagar who was not the main plan in this story. He loves Ishmael, who is not the, the, the seed of promise, and he has a plan for them. But what I like about this, and I tend to live here knowing the situation. It's nice to have someone that can look at your situation and say, here's your problems, here's how to fix it, here's how to move forward. But that doesn't always have a lot of feeling in it, okay? I tend to live mostly over there. Let's get this done. Let's fix the problem. Let's move forward. But I can tell you this. It's nice to have a God that not only knows our situation, but feels our suffering. Because even though I like to fix other people's problems and, and give them solutions to move forward, if I'm the one struggling, I want someone to feel what I'm feeling with me, right? And God is not so far away that he doesn't feel our suffering. Say, Kevin, where do you get that out of the story? Verse 11 in chapter 16, 
You're going to name him, God says, Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? God hears. If he was too far away, he wouldn't be able to hear. You know what Hagar turns around and names God or gives him a, a name in verse 13? El Roy. You are the God who sees. If he was that far away, he wouldn't be able to see us. If you skip forward to Genesis chapter 21, after Hagar went back, now her son Ishmael's probably a teenage boy. He was scoffing at Isaac after Isaac's born, and now they're sent away again, and they're out in the wilderness again, and she takes her boy in verse 15. The, the water and the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. What a pitiful situation. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Oh, I love that. God's not too far away. He doesn't just have the solutions to the problem. God feels our suffering and our need and our pain and our hurt. He feels it. He's a God of compassion. He, Christ was, was a God and is a God that when he saw multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He feels what we feel. And he has a plan in all of it. He knows where to find us. He knows the solutions, but he feels, he feels the suffering as well. You know, it's one thing to know about situations in Haiti or the Dominican or some other country. Boy, when you, when you go into a situation and you're standing there with a, a, a PA and a nurse who are trying to bring life back into a little baby boy and he's just laying on the, on the ground there in a little makeshift kitchen. They have his body laying by the coals and, and they're just trying to uh, get an IV or get something and get life back into him and it's not working and they declare, okay, he's gone. And, and the mom's over here in her little hut, and the dad's trying to comfort her, and you can hear uh, the sobs as you tell them, your child is gone. Boy, it's another thing to enter into the suffering of a person and, and feel that lump in your throat as you're trying to fight back the tears because you need to, you need to go minister to a few more hundred people that day in a medical clinic. Listen... I think, I think that God has chosen me and you to do something pretty amazing this coming year that's going to change the lives of several teen moms in the Dominican Republic and, and affect the lives of their children. I'm excited about it. It's, it's a faith thing, I can tell you that. I don't always have all the answers, but I've seen God work and do things above my wildest imaginations and dreams, and, and I'm open to doing whatever God calls me to do. And I'm open to moving forward. If you guys are open to moving forward by faith uh, together, I think, I think we're going to do some amazing things 
this coming year to make a big impact, not only spiritually with these, these teen moms, but helping them learn some trades as they step out into life and, and, and do some things like that with their life. So I, I hope that this won't just be, let's fund something with money, but I, I hope that your prayers will be behind this because money doesn't change hearts and lives. Prayer does. Prayer does. God does. And, and I'm hoping that this, this will be something as we move forward. We'll have some great testimonies coming out of this. And the glory won't be for me or Cape Cod Church. All the glory will be to God for what he's, he's done through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the time you've given to us this morning. Uh, just to be here at Cape Cod Church and, and share my heart and what, what you have been doing in Haiti and the Dominican. Father, I pray specifically for someone that's here this morning, maybe that, that feels like you don't see them or no one sees them. Father, remind them this morning that you are a God that sees and hears and has compassion, knows where to find them, knows what they need to change, knows how they need to move forward. You know the plans that you have for them, but you also feel the suffering that they feel right now. We thank you that you're an amazing, compassionate, loving God like that. Father, I thank you for, for how we're going to move forward by faith, trusting you this year to show us the way on how we can make a big impact for these teen moms. It's like the one I saw a picture of last night, 17 years old with a five-month-old baby. Father, we don't know what you have planned for these girls and their children. But by faith, we trust you to use us to impact their lives for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Kevin Faldy, ladies and gentlemen.